Welcome back, my fellow theologians. I hope you are having a great day so far, and welcome to the next episode of today's podcast. And today we are going to be in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 22, as previously we've been spending a good deal of time in the New Testament. Uh, I believe that when we study scripture, uh, it's it's best to have a healthy dose of both teachings from the Old and New Testament. And so therefore, we're going to be spending our time today in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 22. I don't know about you, but I love fall. Happy October 1st, everyone, and happy fall. And there are two things that I love about fall, and specifically October. One, it's my birthday month, which, you know, it's it's all right, you know. Um, the second thing is football season. I love football. I love me some Georgia Bulldogs. And, you know, I love Kirby Smart because he is the new head coach. He took up his mantle there as a head coach about Four years ago now, going on four years, and as I was thinking about it, um, he he has done significant work there. Um, I don't know who you root for or where you're from, but regardless, when you see talent, when you see good leadership, you can't fake it and you can't neglect it, and. I just want to point out some pretty cool things. Um, did you know that uh, the UGA head coach, uh, Kirby Smart, he, in his, he takes them to their first national championship appearance since 1980. In his first season as the head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs back in 2016 and 2017, that season. And how did he do this? You know, a few things. He he definitely raised the standards. You know, under the previous leadership, when they would get to a really important game in the postseason, their the team's attitude would be, you know, whether we win or lose, we're just happy to be here. You know, that standard is is pretty low when you think about it. And once Kirby Smart came on on board. Uh, that was no longer the state of mind. If they won the game in a postseason important game, they not they expected to be there. And if, even if they won big, their comments after the the post game would be something along the lines of, "Yeah, we we won, but we could have done better." You know, that's raising the standards. And he was able to do this by testing them continually throughout the season, through practices, until ultimately he was able to to change their entire culture. You know, I bring this up because really we can see this illustrated that their, their team, this team was really under his leadership was tested under fire. 
And with repetition, with reps and all this kind of things that go into making a, a, a great national championship contender team, our lives are somewhat the same, you know, and, and God wants to continually image us and our, create us to be more in the likeness of the, the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And, and this really necessitates that, that really uh, element of having our faith being tested under fire. And the title of my sermon today is actually just that. It's Faith Under Fire. And in Genesis chapter 22, I hope you're already there. Um, we are going to do a, a head dive into the Old Testament. And without further ado, um, I'm going to go ahead and dive in. So if you're there, you can follow along and read with me, or you can just listen and enjoy. Chapter 22 of Genesis, chapter uh, verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I, will, and, I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, Father, he said, Yes, my son, here I am. And he said, Well, I see the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his own son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, yes, he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to, to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that 
place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Wow. I don't know about you, but this is just, for me, it's like coming in the middle of a Star Wars or a Marvel movie that it's at the climax of the movie, and yet you don't know what happened, and you're just really confused as to what led to this point. And so for that reason, uh, I believe that it's necessary to, to build a little bit of background to fill in the gaps for us. And so Abraham's story actually starts a few chapters earlier, um, starting in Genesis chapter 12. And so we're going to kind of do a highlight reel from where it began up to this point, and so we can bring everyone up to speed if you're not already familiar with uh, this narrative. And so as we flip over just a few chapters to chapter 12, we're going to fill in the gaps and go on a roller coaster of a ride. So buckle up your seatbelts, keep your all arms and feet inside because it's going to be a bumpy ride, but an awesome ride. We're going to learn a lot today. I'm super pumped, super excited. So, all right, here we go. So chapter 12 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And in verse 4 it says, Now Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And if you jump down to verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, a fun fact about verse 7, which we just read, this is the first mention of God's promise of giving Abraham descendants. And uh, as we're about to continue to unravel, uh, this is going to be his son at age 75. 
But as we continue, we will quickly realize that even though God made this promise to Abraham because he is faithful, we also will know that he is not a superhuman Christian either. You know, he has flaws and imperfections and he screws up. But still, despite that, God remains faithful to him and perseveres through all of that hardships to emphasize that, you know, Abraham, even though you're imperf- you have a lot of imperfections, I'm still going to be faithful to you and I'm still going to stick it out with you. And so what am I talking about uh, with him being imperfect and all that? Uh, well, if you go down to still in chapter 12, uh, verses 11, starting there, it says, Now it came about when he came near to Egypt, uh, he was going to Egypt because there was a famine in the land of Canaan, and so they temporarily went south to Egypt to until that passed. And so verses 11 says, When it came about when he came near to Egypt, that he said to Sarah, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman, and I just know that when the Egyptians see you, they will say, well, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. So, will you just please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me, and they won't kill me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. Now, what just happened here? Abraham encourages his wife to lie so that he can save his own skin. Uh, Strike one for Abram so he's not perfect. All right, so let us continue down the road here. And so if you skip over to chapter 15, verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the only heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is going to be my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Just to get the point across to you, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. He said to him, So shall your descendants be. Mic drop on God's part. Verse 6 says, Then Abraham believed in the Lord, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now we skip over to chapter 16 and chapter 1. 
Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children yet, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Listen, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. You know, please just have my maidservant, and perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Strike two on Abram. Because he listened to his wife, which unfortunately she just gave him bad advice. He is not perfect. Verse three. And after Abram Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband as his wife. So now, we're going to skip down to the very end of chapter 16, actually verse 16. So chapter 16, verse 16. And it says, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. And so, they're like, clearly God is not... You know, he, yeah, he promised it, but that was a long time ago. It's been like years now, and he still hasn't done anything. So we're going to have to go to plan B, and we're going to have to basically force God's plan and force his timing, you know, because his timing is clearly not now, but it's our timing, and we want it now. So we're going to force God's hand, and we're going to go with plan B. And if you read the entirety of chapter 16, you'll see that he does sleep with Hagar, and they have a child together, and it his name is Ishmael. And then if you skip down to ver- chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Because I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the the land of your sojournings, all the land of the Canaanites, and for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And as we skip on to... Still in chapter 17, but skip down to verse 15. It says, 
Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name now. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Plan A is still in motion. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Really, God? Verse 18, and Abraham said to God, oh, well, maybe that Ishmael might live before you. Remember that other son that I just had? Verse 19, but God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for this descendant's that come after him. And we skip on to verse our chapter 18 starting in verse 9. Then they said to him, "Where is Sarah, your wife?" And he said to them, "By the way, uh three visitors came to Abraham's house, and so he's entertaining the, his guests." And so they are having this conversation. And verse 9. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She's there in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was well past childbearing age. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Verse 14, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Very important question as we proceed forward. So now we're going to skip forward. And now we get to chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And skip down to verse 5. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? Yet 
I have borne him a son in his old age. And that brings us back to the text at hand. So now we can see that God had initially made the promise, but waited like almost 30 years to fulfill it. And meanwhile, they got impatient and they were like, you know what, we're going to take it into our own hands and force God's plan and we're going to do plan B and all this kind of stuff. And they eventually finally get the son of promise. And now we come to chapter 22 and God is saying, yeah, you know that son that you waited for for so long? Yeah, I want you to go basically murder him for me as a sacrifice. Uh, excuse me? What? Uh, you got it. That's a good joke, God. That's a good joke. That's really funny. Wow. God, you're serious. Um, I don't know what to do. That would be kind of my take on it, at least, <laughs> as if if I were to be in his place. But we see here that all throughout the backstory, as we as we established his his character and his journey so far, that with each trial and pre- prevailing over that trial. God was able to further build Abraham's faith. And through each and every test, he became stronger and stronger in his faith and was able to trust God even more so. And now we get to this point where if I were Abraham, I would be like, you know, I've made it. I finally reached the finish line. I can go prop up my feet and watch TV for the rest of my days and just chill out. Nope. God had different plans. He was like, Haha, you only thought those other trials were were trials. That was nothing compared to this. This is going to be the ultimate source of testing. On a side note here. Just already, we see that God will continue to test us basically until our last day in order to build our character more and more and build our faith so that we can continue to trust him more and more so that we can be continually molded and conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and therefore become better followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. So, there are three movements in this text. 
in chapter 22 as we finally caught up back up to speed here. First and foremost, we have the actual test. And that's in verse 1 and 2 where Abraham or where God lays out the plan what he wants him to do. And unlike myself, which I would react very oppositely, Abraham, I, I love this. In verse 3, it says, So Abraham rose up early in the morning. Just that small detail. What does that convey about his state of mind and his... Just... If I was going to do something that I couldn't wait... Like if I were going to a birthday party or a road trip or you know a football game, fill in the blank that required me to get up early, you can bet I would be waking up before my alarm clock went off because of such, I would be so excited. But if I knew that I had to do something that made me want to throw up, I would want to put that off for as long as possible. And... In this case, in in context with verse 3, uh, I wouldn't be waking up early. I would be sleeping in and saying, oh, this is just a dream and this isn't really happening. But we don't see that from Abraham. We actually see that he's getting up early and taking the initiative. And so if you're jotting things down in your iPad or you have a pen and paper, uh, you can go ahead and jot starting, uh, start jotting some things down, some notes. Uh, and the first observation that we see is God's test. And the second observation that we see is Abraham's resolve. And that is basically detailed throughout uh, chapter or verses 3 to 14. And when it actually came to the point where he had to execute the plan in verse 9, he actually started, he was able to follow through. Verse 9 says this, And then he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, stop. And he said, all right, what's going on? Verse 12, the angel said, don't stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not even withheld even your son, you were willing to even sacrifice your son because you trust God so much. Your only son that you've waited so long for, you would be willing to put me above your only son. That's how much Abraham trusted God. 
And so we see Abraham's resolve. And then the third observation that we can get from this text is God's reaffirmation of the covenant. And that can be found in, as we look in starting in verse 15 uh, through 19. It said, verse, starting in verse 16, it says, Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice you say Colton that's that's a really cool story, but what's the point? How does that apply to my life now in 2019? Man, that's such a great question. I'm so glad you brought that up. So, the timeless truth that we can extract from this passage of Scripture is... That because God provides, we can live sacrificially. Because God will ultimately provide, we can live sacrificially. You say, Colton, what does that mean? Basically, because we know that God is able to be trusted and that he has our best in mind we are able to willingly submit ourselves under his authority and to follow his plan and obey whatever he asks us to do with whatever circumstances we may be going through and how hard our year has been, whether we're going through financial difficulties, we have a child who is diagnosed with cancer. The, the list of circumstances could honestly go on forever and ever. But the, the reality is that the proper response from us as it relates to God and scripture and how we are to react in obedience remains the same. And so as we move along, um, let's draw a few practical applications that we can get from this text. Number one is that, you know, we understand we can see that sacrifice demands focus you know and that um, go back to verse 9 and 10 and following when Abraham actually you know got up that day and and actually began to obey God 
And, you know, it's one thing to say you're going to do it, but it's another thing to actually get up early that morning to actually execute the plan. And so sacrifice demands focus. And secondly, we see that sacrifice is painful. It's painful to be sacrificial. You know, it goes against every fiber of our being. Our brain is designed to protect us from hardships. And we have to consciously and intentionally override what our brain is telling us to do to avoid painful situations, to avoid X, Y, or Z. And we have to override that with saying, no, I am choosing to be obedient to God regardless because I know he's got my back and he's got his, my best interest in his heart. And so, you know, as I was thinking about this, I, you know, it kind of reminds me of working out in the gym. You know, um, and as we work out in the gym, you know, our muscles, what actually happens from a biological standpoint is the reason, you know, whenever you work out and, you know, a day or later, uh, your, your muscles really are sore and all that kind of stuff. What's going on there? Well, your muscles are actually breaking down so that they will come back stronger. And, you know, (laughs) my ultimate dream would be to have Arnold Schwarzenegger as my workout coach. You know, wouldn't that be awesome to be like, he's like, come on, get to the job, I'm doing now, go, go, you know. And (laughs) But even though he would let you fail, he knew that that was your best interest in your best interest so that you would through your hardships and through your you know failings in the in the gym that it would ultimately make you stronger you know and that's very much the same way how what's going on here with how god interacts with our lives and how we can reconcile why we're going through hard times um and god's as far as we know he's like allowing it and well he's definitely allowing it but is he you know is he there's sometimes when we wonder if god is even for us and he's like well you know we just want to shake our fist at god and and saying you know, how could you, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, in reality, he's that coach in our life that he can take those hits because he knows that it's just making us stronger. And we have to just keep that in focus, even through the pain. It's kind of like the, um, you know, you've heard it settled however many times, you know, 100 times probably, you know, Without pain, there is no gain. 
And the third application that we can see here um, is that sacrifice ultimately produces reward. In other words, faith that's been tested equals and produces the fear of the Lord. And not, not fear in the sense of being afraid, but in the sense of having a healthy respect for the Lord. And to fear the Lord actually means to, one, acknowledge, and two, recognize that He is God, and I am His servant. And if you want to see more for yourself and, and research for yourself more on this topic, uh, I'm gonna. You can look to Proverbs chapter one, particularly verse seven, um, and also in the book of Psalms, um, Psalm ninety, verses eleven through twelve. And as we come to a close. Again, what does this mean? Like, how can I take this and move forward with my day? Well, just how Kirby Smart tested the team under fire and all the pressures, which ultimately yielded the maximum results for the Georgia Bulldogs, making them a better team and better men altogether as they face their future and respective lives after their career in college football. God wants to do the same thing with us, continually pushing us to become better followers, being molded into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and to leave a legacy for our children. To close out, I want you to turn your attention to Hebrews chapter 11. And in the theologian world, this one chapter, we like to call this the Hall of Faith. And the writer of Hebrews in this in this chapter he's basically recording all this these hall of famers if you will to liken it back to sports who have are all the MVPs throughout the generations and and of all time and Abraham is also listed in this hall of fame of faith and check out verse 8 again that's Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. But by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, his fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city of which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, 
even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All right, guys, and so I would encourage you, so as you're in the daily grind of life and you're facing your struggles head on and you're, you feel like you're being tested in the flames of fire, um, I would just encourage you to remember that you're not alone, you know? Um, that's one of the enemy's number one tactics is to create a lie and make us believe it that you're the only one who's having to go through this. You're such a loser. I would just encourage you that that is a lie from the pit of hell. Do not believe it for one second, but go to Scripture and remember the hardships that Abraham and Sarah had to go through, which ultimately, as we have seen today, ultimately built their faith and produced an ability to more wholeheartedly trust in God that he will provide in whatever means necessary for our lives and to make us better Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. All right, guys, thanks for hanging in there with me. I know that was a lot of scripture to go through, um, but hey, you know, any day that I get to have God do all the talking and me do as minimal talking, that's a good day for me. Because honestly, I don't want you to hear from me. I want you to hear from God himself. And so what better way to do that than just diving headfirst into the scriptures? All right, guys, until the next episode, y'all have a great day. All right, bye-bye.